Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk with creative Mississippians. I'm your host, Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with hip-hop artist Stephen Brown, also known as Fifth Child. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about. I'm really excited. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to jump right in. So you're Jackson-based. 100%. Born and raised. Not born. Not born. Okay, Okay. tell us where you were. I was born in Redondo Beach, California. Okay. Moved to Jackson when when I was about three years old. Okay, and so you've been here ever since? Besides, you know, the four years of college in New Orleans, yeah, I've been here. So Southern all the way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. Where did you, what schools did you go to in Jackson? So uh, first I went to Oak Forest Elementary from kindergarten through third grade. I went to Power APEC for fourth and fifth grade. I went to People's Middle School, um, sixth through eighth, and then I went to Murrah High School from ninth through tenth. Ninth through twelfth. I used to teach it. My, my first like real job after college was teaching at Power Apex. So. Oh, okay, cool. very, very yeah. like really, really close to my heart. Oh, that's right, because I think I know one of your Kwame Braxton. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so it's great to see when the young artists that I worked with are now grown up artists. artists. It's yeah, really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, while we're talking about APAC and Jackson, I want to talk about where you started with the music. Like what made you be an artist Mm -hmm. so um i grew up in a music loving home my dad had a insane record collection so just vinyl all over the place and what's funny is i only remember certain i only have spots in my memory where we actually had a working record player but we always had a ton of vinyl in there (laughs) uh but yeah like old michael jackson and curtis mayfield and temptations records a lot of soul a lot of fusion jazz also um but i i fell in love with hip-hop early on maybe even around the age of shoot like six or seven Mm. um listening to heavy d Heavy D. Heavy D was like that. That was my guy. Yeah. So I really, uh, really liked Heavy D a lot. But as far as creating music, all of that would be credited to my brother as far as me um, songwriting. Uh, because my brother at the time, um, he was well, even before he was in a group with uh, some friends from high school, um, we would just. I would see him rap all the time. I mean, he's seven years older than me, so a young brother wanted to be like his big bro. You know, I would just want to... I thought it was cool, so um, that's how I started writing songs. I would just kind of jump in and and freestyle here and there, um, and I might have, like, one or two lines, and then I'd just, like, (laughs) go hide somewhere until I could think of something else. But I wrote my first full verse, full rap verse, when I was 11 years old. 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Do you remember it? I do. I do. It started off, so my, my legal name is Stephen Lee Brown, and I was going by SLB at the time, and uh, I wrote, it's the SLB scratching rhymes like a flea, and I thought it was brilliant. That was pretty good. I mean, that's good. <laughs> it, it stands up. It stands up. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. 
So you're like hanging with the older guys, rapping. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and I I'm really really thankful for that because they could have just kind of shooed me away and like you know you like, what are you doing here, kid? But um, I think that they recognized my uh my passion for it and my talent for it early on so i would go to these freestyle ciphers at this uh this spot called seven all arts cafe and they would have this lyricist lounge wednesdays and i mean it would just be a bunch of guys way older than me so david banner would be in there kamikaze and i'm like 13 14 years old in in so a cypher a free you know what a freestyle cypher is i do but tell okay us, tell us about it so it's, it's basically it like a you. a group of guys there's sometimes there's music playing in the background sometimes not but they're just taking turns mm. reciting lyrics and it's, it's not always a rap battle per se sometimes it's just rapping you know just to to sharpen your skills you know so is that it's is that place still there or is that so no the 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 guy that founded that um founded that space was a guy named Ezra Brown who had you know um left for some time overseas he's a touring musician but he actually just moved back to Jackson and opened up a new coffee spot and bubble tea spot called Soleil in uh in Fondren so yeah he came full circle what do you think it was? I mean, because obviously that was a really special time. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the people coming out of that that culture. Like, what do you think it was about that period of time in Jackson? I'm always really interested about what this place makes happen. So it was very grassroots mm. and very organic. The The reason why the, the arts community was able to flourish like that is because we had a space that, that we owned. You know, um, Ezra Brown owned that not only that building, but, you know, he, he made it a point to make this a cultural hub. And the the thing that made that so significant, like I said, you're able to not only cultivate this community of what's already there, but there were young people like my age that were seeing it and like it's, it's nurturing up and comers, you know. And so what's kind of been to our detriment lately uh, specifically in the in the black arts community is um, cultivating spaces that we didn't actually own. Like we don't own the the building. We're just mm-hmm. kind of like leasing or um, or allowed to do program there. So we make the places really hot and make them make them pop and like create an art scene there. And then it's kind of snatched from underneath you once mm-hmm. the property owners no longer not just find value in it, but they just feel like you're disposable. And so it, it like takes the and I mean I could absolutely name names and I would love to, but <laughs> uh, yeah I, w- I would love to but yeah they're they're just um, some great businesses uh, like the Flamingo like Offbeat Jackson that have been uh, cultural hubs for the Black arts community and um, we have to protect these places. So I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. Sure. I, I I didn't mean to get here so fast, but we're talking about these spaces and yeah. you. Yeah. Have a space. Yeah. In the works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it. Tell us all about so, it. So like maybe like five people know this. <laughs> now <laughs> a lot my of family. people know this. <laughs> like five people know this. Yeah, yesterday, like, man, glory to God. Um I man, it's it's, it's a beautiful story. But um I was fortunate to be able to 
uh, signed a lease agreement yesterday with a space that is a 300, excuse me, 3,500 square foot building that is going to be used for all things arts and education related. So everything from um, ACT prep to uh, songwriting classes, production, um, uh, music business education Mm classes, photography studios, graphic design, like it's, it's going to be education based at, at at the heart of all of it. But arts is the, you know, the underlying theme, education and arts. So I, lo- I love when artists focus on like the whole, like, especially when you're working with young artists, mm-hmm. I used to, I used to teach obviously. So it's really close to my heart, but when you're focusing on the whole of a student, yeah, that's sounds like what you're doing. Oh, 100% because the, the arts and the, the, you know, the, like I said, teaching people how to make beats and how to record and do podcasting. That's really the Trojan horse with the real, um, purpose of it all of being mentorship. And an intervention and, you know, yeah, really deterring crime on top of that. Was was your upbringing and like your teachers, your mentors, were they an inspiration to lead you to this? Do you have people in your life that inspired it? So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, one of the the most important men in my life um, was my youth pastor, a guy named Henry Murphy. And he like the the way he connected with young people and respected us, you know, and gave us a voice and, and held us accountable um, early on. I, I didn't even realize, well, I know I knew it then for sure, but I see it even more now through the, the fruits of, of his work. He actually passed just a few years ago. And um, like I said, one of the most important men in my entire life, right? I've known him forever. And then uh, and <laughs> I end up marrying this girl, right? And I didn't find out until after we had been dating for some time that, wait a minute, that's your uncle? Oh, wow. Like, you're, that's your mother's brother? Like, for real? And I've never met you in all the, in, you know, in 20 plus years since then. But yeah, yeah. So what an incredible connection. Right, right. And, and I'm sorry, I know I went off topic. but No, uh, no, it's all on topic. <laughs> it all goes, you know, into what made you... But yeah, so so my my passion for working with youth and working with young people absolutely came from him. And then, like I said, there are other other people. There's a guy um, named Charles or Tony Lewis who uh, was in the youth group with us as well. And he now is coordinating something called the Development Academy in South Jackson, where he's doing basketball, not just basketball coaching, but like. Like, I don't know what you call it. If if somebody's like a trainer, like you work with people one-on-one in small Mm -hmm. groups, you know, to just kind of sharpen their basketball skills. But then, once again, using that as a mentorship platform, they have something uh, on, like, Friday night hoops, I want to say is what they call it, Mm -hmm. where they're like, hey – Rather than have you guys on the streets, we're opening up the gym from this time on Friday night until this time late that night. We're going to be grilling and have food, but we're going to have basketball. We're going to have fellowship. But just to give the uh, the cool. youths in Jackson something to do that's going to be constructive and, and uplifting. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's plenty of us that came up through that program in New Horizon Church that I could, you know, talk about. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. So you actually work with young people in a very specific way mm-hmm. as a mentor. Tell us about that. 
So, uh, which one? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I only know about part of it. I only know gotcha. about the college prep. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that too. Yeah. So my uh, my nine to five job, I, I help students get into college and find the money to pay for it. I work for a company called um, Get to College under the Wilbur Hines Education Foundation, and everything from ACT prep, helping them figure out what they want to major in, get in touch with recruiters, set up job shadowing opportunities, uh, resume building, just in, anything that you can think of that involves helping them get into college and find the money to pay for it is what we do and we do it for free and though and so I've been doing that for about 10 years and the work that I've been doing with them has really strongly informed the kind of work and the at least the the model that I want to employ with my facility where you're able to offer these services to the community at no cost. Like, I don't want a struggling family to, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you because you can't afford, you know, my hourly rate or whatever. So we're um, still exploring ways to to subsidize that help, maybe even grants from <clears throat> Mississippi Arts Commission. You know, who knows? <laughs> I might know so, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, just to make sure we're able to offer that assistance and, and this uh, boost on the ground kind of help the people at no cost. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You are listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Jackson-based hip-hop artist Stephen Brown, also known as Fifth Child. So we've been talking a lot about Stephen's work with young people and how he got into music. So tell us about your music. I want like what's your what, tell us about your style. Wow. <laughs> That's a big question. Sorry. <laughs> Describe to me the color yellow. Like, yeah. No, um, yeah, tell you about my style. I, 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 I mean, I guess I would say, in my opinion, my music is motivational. Mm-hmm. That's what it is for, is for me. It's, it's therapeutic. It's motivational. Um, it's soulful. Uh, <laughs> it's very Southern. It's, has, it has jazzy elements. It's uh, it's authentic, if nothing else. Like, I don't approach music like, okay, I just have to write a song right now today just to say that I wrote one. I don't do that at all. There's normally a few years between each project because I need time to live to actually have something mm-hmm. significant to write about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, all of it is 100% factual, though, for sure. <laughs> Something you said, you said Southern, yeah. and we've talked about, you know, Jackson being where he grew up, and uh, and then you went to New Orleans for college. Mm-hmm. What, 
What separates Southern hip hop music from, and I know this is like a huge question, mm-hmm. <laughs> from from other hip hop music? So, as a um, as an African American in the South, we are is is not even um, memories. It's like reflections. There are like you can you can take down as many monuments you want of confederate soldiers when all the streets are still named after them you know like they just changed uh davis magnet (laughs) elementary school to obama magnet you know like it's it's not there's nothing hidden about that and so when you are dealing with a a population that has experienced this kind of trauma that has this kind of lingering pain um we have we have the the blues for you know mm-hmm. for uh lack of a better term and so i have a a line in the song where i said god gave us the blues for our blues mm-hmm. so he gave us this art to help us heal you know and in my music like i i believe it's healing music it's like we're not going to dance around these topics we're not going to um pretend like this stuff doesn't exist but it's because it's all part of the story of our resilience, and so um, I want my I want my music, and I believe my music is is healing, whether it has words in it or not, because I have instrumental projects too. But I want it to be healing music and inspiring and um, audacious. Mm. You know, like I, I want people to hear it and be like, "Who do you think you are?" And it's like I'm going to tell you exactly, and it's not in an arrogant way, but it's a you don't get to define me kind of way, you know. Has your music opened up a lot of conversations around difficult things with people? They, I mean, do they talk to me? <laughs> like, <my> music, <laughs> They may be but, talking to each other more than you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in, in the way I... I'm not a a Facebook, and people probably laugh at me for saying this. I'm probably like, you're lying, but I'm I I don't consider myself a Facebook ranting kind of person in the way of like reacting when mm-hmm. something happens. When there's a, a hot topic in the news, I I'm not a uh, reacting person, but I consider myself a responder. Like I'm going to stop, think about it process it and once the the buzz dies down and once people are over it i'm gonna bring it back up like okay now now that we've had some time to sit let's get to the root of this and let's let's really deal with this Mm -hmm. instead of just like being fake mad for a week and then forgetting about it you know let's let's deal with it now and so that's what songs like the song black hoodie which is on my album love letters and suicide notes um or the song uh, Fergie on the child support uh, EP or the song Say Her Name on Untitled. Like, if you listen to those songs specifically, you'll see me dealing with some of those topics in a um, direct and aggressive way. We're actually going to listen to that song in just a Say bit. Say Her Name. Oh, yes, cool. we are. But um, so your albums, you mentioned that your eighth album, how many are there in all? Because that, that's a lot. It seems like you have more than that. <laughs> Yeah, so there are, are nine solo albums with me, actually, you know, with with lyrics on them. Um, I have a few more, I guess you could call them like mixtapes. I hate using that word, but may, they could be mixtapes. Um, but then I have four currently, as of today, you know, <laughs> as of <laughs> July 
sixth. Uh, there are four instrumental albums, but as of tomorrow, there will be five. Okay, so new album tomorrow. <laughs> Let's talk about the new album. Tell us all about it. So it's an instrumental album, and I can spell the name better than I can say it because <laughs> it's in French, but it's En Joie d'Amour. All right. En Joie d'Amour. What does it mean? It well, look it up. Google Google, Google. Translate. <laughs> Google Translate. No, it means a, it's a love joint in French. Oh, nice. And so all the um, song titles are dates, like June second, August nineteenth, August 9th, May eighteenth, and these are um, really important dates in my relationship with my wife. Oh. <laughs> don't do that <laughs> and so I, so and so thing. she knows the significance <laughs> of the dates i haven't you know I, I haven't told anybody like okay this is what this date means but she knows what all of them mean so that's yeah. amazing and so it's, it's in, and so the the instrumentals on there each one reminds me like the the way the sonically they're telling the story of that particular date and its significance like you'd have to hear it to understand what i'm talking about but yeah each each one has that it, it emotes that day that's so <laughs> cool the sonically expressing an experience which is all film scoring is right it absolutely you know? is Absolutely. Yeah. So people so. will have films in their head as they're listening to your music. Now, now that's what I have heard people say a lot about my music is, you know, it sounds like movie soundtrack stuff. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, and that's good. I want it to be cinematic. I want to tell stories on my music. So that's that's cool. How do you approach, say, a song like Say Her Name that's got like some really heavy lyrical content to it differently than you approach process wise than you approach an instrumental piece. So I, you know what? I, I used to always say that I hate writing. I've, I have to stop saying that, <laughs> that I hate writing. I don't hate writing. I just don't like being forced to write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm always inspired to produce. I'm always inspired to, to make the music. But like I said, I have to be in a certain headspace in order to be able to write lyrics. And um, so when I'm writing, it's all about obedience. Mm. It's all about obedience because because I take so long in between albums. It's like this is these are words that is is to the point where I'm overflowing, and if I don't get it out, I'll go crazy. So, um, in the in the sense of like say her name, when I was creating my most recent album with words, which is untitled, I already knew sonically what I wanted it to sound like. I knew the, the feel I wanted, I knew the tempo and the pace I wanted it to be. And um, so I would ride around just listening to the instrumentals and kind of let the, the lyrics just come to me. Some came easier than others. And when in the in the case of Say Her Name, I had been listening to that beat and I loved it. And I was just like, just had it playing one day. I think I was getting, getting ready to go out of town and I was just packing my uh, my suitcase. And as I'm doing it, it hit me like that's what you need to talk about. Mm. That's what the song is going to be about. So I started, you know, just writing the first line. It was all a dream, maybe a nightmare. We got to fight back, but they never fight for it. And then from there, the first verse comes out. And it's um, the first verse is about Breonna Taylor. And like I said, it just, it just comes out. So I'm like, okay, I got that done. 
But then it was like, no, you have more to say. You have more to write. And so I write the second verse. I'm like, okay, great. So that one's about Ayanna Jones, the seven, seven-year-old girl that was murdered in, uh, in Detroit. I'm like, no, you got more. I'm like, okay, this is like sad. I'm like, I'm <laughs> in, I'm kind of getting choked up just even writing this. And it's three o'clock in the morning. And my wife is already asleep in, you know, in the bedroom. And I'm in my studio, like, like I said, 3 a.m., light on, and the lyrics are just pouring out of me. And then this verse about Sandra Bland, and then this verse about um, a Tatiana Jefferson, and they're just coming out, and I'm like, God, really, it's four verses. Like, rap songs aren't four verses anymore, but it's four verses. The song's like five minutes long, and when I perform it, my eyes are always closed because I'm taking myself back to that space I was when I wrote it. And whenever I open my eyes, people are just looking at me like, dude, <laughs> like, sheesh. Like, but like I said, I have to be obedient. So I can't mince words. I have to just deliver the message as I get it. I love when people talk about their writing process because I, I love to write. And, and I, whenever I talk to people, I feel like there's this moment and it sounds like this with you. Do you feel like it was like coming through you and not oh, from 100%, you? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because it's, it's like when I say it's the overflow of what's in my mind, it's not like I just walk around thinking about this stuff all day long. But when the music is playing, like I said, it's, it's speaking to me. Yeah. It's speaking to me, and so I just have to be obedient. Man, that's incredible. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with music creator and curator Stephen Brown, and you may know him as Fifth Child. I can't believe I haven't asked you this yet. Tell us about the name Fifth Child. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it had to come. I, I knew it I read was about it. So the name Fifth Child, um, I'm actually the youngest of four children, not five. Um there are, I told you my, my oldest brother is like six, seven years older than me. There were two years after him and then my sister. Two years after her, my other sister. And then three years after my sister, then comes me. And I remember wondering why my parents broke the little two-year stepping, you know, stair-step cycle or whatever. And uh, I know that my mom had never gotten a um, tubal ligation. Right. And so I used to when I was rapping at seven all arts and all that stuff uh, I told you about earlier, I was really just battle rapping 
at a certain point. So you've seen Eight Mile, like Eminem, yeah. like I'm just gonna rap about how much better I am than you, and you know, just trying <laughs> to, yeah, just real competitive. And so that's what I was doing, and I was going by a different name. And um, I was 18 years old in the living room with my mom and my sister, my oldest sister. And I asked my mom, I was like, you know, did you ever get pregnant again after I was born and like not keep the baby? And she and my sister just kind of stopped and looked at each other for a second. And she was like, that didn't happen after you. It happened before you. Hmm. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you know, we, we already had three kids. And your dad was like, man, you know, we already have so many. You're trying to weigh me down with kids. And, you know, they had a discussion and she ended up terminating the pregnancy. And um, then... Uh, she was at the hospital about to have a tubal ligation and my grandmother was trying to talk her out of it like no don't do it like just have one more like hmm. make it an even number you know we love big families blah 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 <laughs> so my mom's already got the gown on and she's in the in the room you know and uh the nurse walks in with the clipboard like all right miss brown you ready to move on into the operating room she's like you know what Never mind, I can't do this. Got up and walked out. Nine months later, I was born. So I didn't find that out till I was 18 years old. And so I was like, whoa, I really almost didn't make it. So, <laughs> so it was like, man, this is this is giving me a new kind of outlook on life because I'm, if I'm going to continue to make music, it's going to live, period. I want to make sure that I'm living with purpose. Like, cause it's almost like somebody was sacrificed for me to be here, so I got to make it worth it, you know, mm. the time that I do have here on Earth. So the name Fifth Child is more so a reminder to me, like, don't screw this up, you know, because somebody else could have been here. So you said that, before that, you were going by a different name. We're not talking about. No, that. Not, <laughs> okay. I'm not going to ask you the other name. I'm not going. <laughs> now I want to, but I won't. I won't. No, no. <laughs> but no, you you were saying that mostly before that it was a specific type of you know rap yeah, battling. Yeah. And stuff. Did the name coincide with your shift in the what you talked about? Yeah. Yeah. Directly. One hundred percent. Yeah. So it was sure. all very intentional with that. Yeah, the name Fifth Child, it was like, okay, this, I I don't just want to, our, 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 there's so much power in the spoken word, like, even for, you know, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you know, it, it doesn't say that God took some dirt and rolled it up in a ball and then threw it and then spit. Like, no, he, he spoke things into being. He spoke things into existence, and there's power in our words, mm. and so I, I know that I can't. Um, I can't rightfully use my voice and my platform for something that is not um, edifying. So you were 18 when that happened. Did mm -hmm. that influence where you went to college? or what? Tell us about that. Like, how did you... How did I end up at Loyola? Yeah, and what did you study, and how did it play into who you are now? So, man, I even even going to the the building, you know that that you know the park the property I just uh, uh, started leasing yesterday. There's a lot of moments in my life where it can't be explained as coincidence. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was planning. I I knew I was interested in like journalism, maybe broadcast journalism. I had considered Jackson State. Um, I had considered a couple of other schools, maybe Clark Atlanta or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but then, and I had never heard of Loyola. Hmm. 
Never even heard of it. But I told you my mom is originally from L.A. There's a Loyola out there. And she was at a party with one of her friends, like at some club, like in L.A. You know, I was a senior in high school and she always would take summers to go visit, you know, go visit her her hometown. And she was with some friends and telling me, yeah, you know, so Steven's getting ready to go to college after next year. He's going to be a senior in high school and he wants to do blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, you know, had he considered Loyola? And she's like, no, I don't think he's ever even thought about it. She's like, oh, well, you know, there's one in in New Orleans. Hmm. And so I was like, okay. So um, not long after that, a recruiter from Loyola came to Murrah and sat down with myself and maybe like four or five other students, not a whole lot. And because like who wanted to go to Loyola? I had never even heard (laughs) of it, you know, at that point. And um, they were like, yeah, they have this public relations team and they're this award winning like PR program and I'm like public relations and I read more about it. I'm like yeah this sounds like what I want to do you know still in mass comp all that and um I visited the school on the for the president's open house and I was like man this is really nice and so I applied it was the only school I applied to I applied on maybe like a a Tuesday and got my acceptance letter back that Friday and then got an, a scholarship award letter saying, yeah, we're giving you half tuition like on Monday. And so I'm like, well, that was my first choice. So that's where I'm going to school. So that was the only school I applied to. And uh, I went there and absolutely loved it. Like oh, that's cool. 100% loved my college experience in those four years. How did the play, I mean, obviously New Orleans, music, culture, mm-hmm. everything. How did that yeah like seep into your art that that played a huge role one because the way that um the city of new orleans embraces indie culture not just in music but Mm -hmm. in everything in food in fashion like if you're local they're like no yeah come on like that's Mm -hmm. that's what we want you know they're they uh really exalt their local culture where other communities I've been in, it's like, oh, you're just from here. You you know, you ain't mm-hmm. nothing until somebody else outside of, you know, this town says that you're something. So um, I got, that's where I really, really cut my teeth as a performer because there are so many venues all over the place. So I was performing with, in, and also in different styles because for a lot of the time in college, I was performing with a, a jam band more or less mm. they could do like jazz funk soul some of everything and i was the front man like the hip-hop artist for the for the songs that we did in, in that style so um yeah i got to perform all over the city and that was also where i got my first exposure to the the music industry the the record label that i was just i was kind of more or less a roadie for for these guys i had some big brothers there and right after hurricane katrina they signed an artist that ended up getting signed to a major label deal to universal republic records Mm -hmm. so getting to see all that side of everything too um yeah i mean it was it was a completely transformative experience just being there for those four years oh that's Mm -hmm. awesome how this may be a tough question but you talked about new orleans being so welcoming to locals Mm -hmm. and local arts how do you think jackson is we're getting there yeah we're getting there is 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 it's grown a lot i'll say that it's grown a lot because the the grassroots indie like underground culture has always thrived because we've always had talented people here Mm -hmm. but from a corporate standpoint it was like whatever like as long as y'all stay over there and stay out the way you know yeah you're good but 
um, now we're, I think the art scene is being seen as a viable community and you have organizations that are like, well, no, instead of, of underestimating or, um, undervaluing our arts community, what if we actually listen to them? What if we actually, um, support them? with, you know, like I said, stuff that the Mississippi Arts Commission is doing, that Visit Jackson is doing, um, and actually taking a more collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people are starting to value, like, no, nah, I'd rather, I mean, I know I could go eat at Chili's, but why don't I go eat at Bravo instead? Yeah. You know, just just taking a and embracing hometown. And I mean, when I say hometown, I mean Jackson. So I don't mean Ridgeland. I don't mean Brandon. I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean Florence. I don't mean Madison. I mean Jackson. You know, obviously <laughs> that's where my line in the sand. That's, is that's drawn. where it is. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, the Arts Commission. We fully believe that our artists are one of our greatest assets yeah. in our state, and it's uh, and I do think people are starting to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and or or some people have always seen it. You know, I mean, you look at our heritage, but. But yeah, so if you were going to, let's be really specific here. I was going to say give any young artist advice, which we also can do. But if you were going to give a young Jackson artist mm-hmm. advice, what there would we it go. be? Um, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Like nobody, because the city is so, the city is actually extremely small. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely small where there's, one degree of separation between you and anybody in the city. You don't need permission to be dope. You don't <laughs> need permission that. to be dope. So if you I like a lot of times there, they could be waiting around for someone to create an opportunity for them or, or give them something when it's like, you honestly have the power to do it yourself, you know, rather mm-hmm. than waiting for a venue to open their doors or like, man, we're going to give you an opportunity to perform. You can pay us for an opportunity. For, like, no, you get several of your friends, you pull together some money and you rent out whatever space for that night. You sell your own tickets, you make your own money, you build your own fan base organic and not let people feel like they can just sucker you into stuff like yeah. like you need them like you can you can do this I'm, and I'm not saying don't collaborate but don't feel like you need anybody's permission though just you know just do it oh that's great and you said collaborate so we have to talk about who you collaborate with I, i'm a terrible person to talk about collaboration <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm a hip hop artist who produces everything himself and records himself and mixes himself and masters his own music and I do everything by myself. But you work with other artists. <laughs> I do. So tell us about some of those artists and what that collaboration's like. Yeah. Uh. Sure. Um. Hmm. So I produce for I produce for a good number of people, um, such as. I produced some stuff for Dollar Black, for Young Jewels, for Slim Pusha, for um, a guy named D1 out of New Orleans, for my homeboy uh, Trump Card, for um, my brother uh, James Crow, for um, Vitamin C. So, yeah, I produced for a good number of acts in the city. I 
when it comes to creating an album, I typically play things really close to the chest. I'm not. I'll say. I'll say this. I'm not opposed to collaboration, but I am opposed to forced collaboration. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just work with someone just because they're really hot right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think Big Crit is an amazing artist. At no point have I ever been like working on something like, you know what? I need to get Big Crit on this song. Mm -hmm. I don't know him like that. He could be the nicest, sweetest guy. I don't know him like that. And so I don't know if we would have that kind of chemistry where I would rather at this point, work with someone who I, um, like I said, who I've built a relationship with. No, I've actually sat in a room and talked to this person. I know where their head is at. And I know that if we're collaborating, it's for the, for, for the right reasons and not just for exposure purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, if that opportunity were to present itself, I'm not saying I'm opposed to working with an artist with a bigger name, like a big crit, you know, but I would want to have the kind of conversations that I've had with dear Silas, you know, that he and I have had before I work with somebody, you know? So is it when the things that draw you to work with somebody, is it style? Is it like who they are as a person? Just a little bit of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to think you're dope. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some people who could some, a guy could be a great guy or a great, you know, young lady and they just don't make good music. And, you know, so we don't have to work together. And and there are some people who are really talented and I might just want to be a fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be a fan from afar. I don't have to. We don't have to do a song together. I just want to listen to your music as is, you know, yeah, now, if a song presents itself where it makes sense artistically and uh, content wise, then, yeah, let's do it. But. I, I don't think we need to force collaboration. No, that makes a lot of sense. The things that work, work. Yeah. You know? um, something we haven't talked about are your live shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have, I know you have at least one coming up, but probably more. So tell us where people can see yes. you live. The next time you can see me live is at Urban Foxes on North Street in uh, in Jackson. Uh, Urban Fox is a wonderful coffee shop owned by my good dear friend Cody Cox and uh, and his wife Molly West and um, they have an after hours concert series so I'll be performing on next Friday July 15th All right. so what can people expect from a live fifth child show so the one at Urban Foxes is going to be a smaller, more intimate, intimate kind show, of setting. Yeah, it's just sure. just limited number of seats. But normally it's a, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of I, I want they'll leave inspired if nothing else. You know, I used to um, I used to get kind of discouraged when I would perform, and sometimes I would see people like their their faces are kind of just like flat. And I would wonder, like, dang, maybe they're not into my music, but somebody had to tell me, no, they're listening to every single word you said. They're not going to get drinks. They're not talking amongst themselves. They're just listening to what you're saying. So knowing that my lyrics matter, that's what you're going to get at the show. They're, the audience is just with you. Yeah. Right, right. So that's coming up on the 15th. And then you got your new album that by the time this interview airs, people can listen to. Mm-hmm. Steven, thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait to see what you do next and to go listen to your new album. It's been great talking en to you. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and fifthchildmusic.com is where everything is in my... Oh, good. I'm yeah, going to that. Yeah, all my social media is at fifthchildmusic, at the number five, T-H, child music. So if you want to find anything fifth child related... Fifth child music. 
Google for the child, for the child music. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.